Hey listeners and welcome to the Surf Coast Creators Podcast. I'm your host Ben Hucker. If this is your first time tuning into the podcast and we hope you enjoy today's episode. But what is this podcast all about? Well, we tell the stories of doers, thinkers and creatives on the Surf Coast in Australia. Why do we do it? Well, we think the coast is a melting pot of creative minds from the city, the country and the coast and we wanted to get their stories out there. Each episode is packed full of insight and a good dose of practical hints and tips from our guests. Our guest today, a huge guest uh, for this episode of the podcast, we're talking to the owner of Surfing Life magazine, Mr. Ray Bishop. So Surfing Life mag, probably one of the t- easily in the top five in terms of surfing magazines in the world. Uh, it was started in 1985. It's been through a few change of hands with regard to owners and all the rest, but Mr. Ray Bishop bought the, the rights and the, the license to, to the magazine, find out how all that went down. But absolute privilege to have Ray on the episode today. Ray has been described as a visual marketing genius by some of his peers. He's also a designer, photographer, loving husband and devoted dad who started surfing about 35 years ago now. So he knows his stuff and surfing actually lit the spark for an interest in all things creative. So Surfing and creativity combined has led Ray on a three-decades journey to become the owner and publisher of Surfing Life magazine. But he's had his fair share of challenges in between, as we all have as creatives. And, well, Ray basically spent 30 years dreaming of the day he could work for a blue-chip surf mag like Surfing Life. The lesson? Don't give up on your dreams. There's so much wisdom packed into this episode. It was an absolute ripper. Leave us a rating on iTunes after the episode, or better yet, share the podcast with one friend. That would really help us out and spread the word for the Surf Coast Creatives Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Ben Hucker. This is episode number 40 of the Surf Coast Creatives Podcast with our guest, Mr. Ray Bishop. Enjoy. Well, that's a very warm welcome to our guest for today's episode of the podcast. It's an absolute privilege to have this man on the pod today, Mr. Ray Bishop, owner and editor and proprietor of Surfing Life magazine, welcome to the Surf Coast Creators Podcast. Thanks for having me. I will correct you on one thing there. Uh, I'm not the editor. Uh, that privilege goes to my wife, who's the first female editor of a mainstream surf magazine in the world. Oh, very, very nice. And I was actually listening to a podcast with you I think it was called Barrels and Business and the first Indigenous editor as well. As, that's major correct. Major surfing yeah. magazine. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, exactly. First, first, the first First Nation. So um, I, even if you went to Hawaii, I'm pretty sure they're not even First Nations editors over there either. With their, I think the magazine's Free Surf over there. Yeah. Um, so it really should be, like seriously should be. And what's um, your, your wife's name? Uh, my wife's name is Lystra. Lystra, a big shout out to Lystra. I'm sure she'll be tuning in for today's episode. So one of our first segments, Ray, is called Breaking the Ice. We're just going to run through seven questions just to get to know you a little bit better. And after that, we'll start uh, discussing your epic story. So I think we've got about an hour to cover your 30-year career today, so it doesn't seem like <laughs> anywhere near enough, but we'll try and fit in as much as we can. Uh, the surface is the only thing worth scratching anyway. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the surf itch. Well, here we go. Question number one, where were you born? I was born in Toowoomba, which is west of Brisbane. So country so, boy. Yeah, well, didn't stay there for very long. I think I was two or something when we left. But as they say, Toowoomba born, Toowoomba bred, long in the legs and thick in the head. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't actually heard that saying, but that's, yeah. do you have much memories of growing up, childhood? Where did you go to after Toowoomba? Uh, Perth. 
So yeah, my my old man was in the Air Force, so we travelled a lot um, in the early years. There's quite a large RAF base there, isn't there? So I imagine on the road constantly. Yeah, we ended up in in Laverton, and he was at the Tottenham base. <laughs> so that's for all your you surf coasters. You know all about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, Laverton, not far from the surf coast at all. So that's interesting. Okay. But so all over the place as a as a grom and as a teenager. But what's your favourite activity now to zone out? Oh, gee. Where do um, we start? I got I got lots. <laughs> If you have one, the worst thing about having just one, um, it, it's like having one passion. If you have just one and then you can't get to it, you're like, oh, you're stressed out because I can't get to my zone out activity. I think that's not a, an effective way to live. Um, I don't mind binging a bit of Netflix. I don't mind going for a surf. I love to read. Makes sort of sense. Um, yeah. I, but after a really long day, um, yeah, working, I, yeah, something that um, I use to turn my brain off because that's my problem. If I don't turn it off, I don't sleep. Uh, yeah, it's just to find some sort of TV show and just watch it. Well, that's coming up in one of our questions, so we'll just leave that be for the time being. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so question number three, full-time or part-time creative, or in your case, maybe entrepreneur? Uh, full-time creative? Full-time creative for 30 years. Um, it's been a... A little bit of a career. Uh, entrepreneur, no. Business owner, yes. I think uh, entrepreneurs, the term is bandied around way too much these days. Everyone starting up a dog washing business calls themselves an entrepreneur. <laughs> and uh, I don't agree with it. I think if you can make money while you're asleep, you can call yourself an entrepreneur. If you can make that much money that you can um, actually give a ton away to uh, help people in need, then you can start calling yourself an entrepreneur. Other than that, scratch that. I was just saying before, we've we had a lot of trouble with the terminology and our messaging for the podcast when we first started. We used to say creative entrepreneurs, but we've kind of we've dropped the word entrepreneurs just because we want to focus on creatives. And we've got similar similar thoughts on entrepreneurs. It's, it's kind of for us, someone who manages big teams and raises capital from investors and lists on the stock exchange and other things. So I think a creative is a whole different concept. Yeah, let's be creatives anyway. It's much more fun. Yeah. Exactly. Who uh, cares about that- making money unless you're having fun? Crikey. Yeah, I actually heard on your podcast that you talked about, you know, surfing industry was about survival. If you're in the surfing industry to make money, then yeah, you're finished. So you're in the wrong business. Yeah, you know how to make two million dollars in the surf industry, don't you? Start with four. <laughs> oh, really? yeah. there you go. Start with four million, end up with two million. There you go. That's how you make that, two million. That's what they, they say that about the aviation industry as well. How to make a hundred million? Start with a billion. Yeah, that's right. Uh, question number four, are you a camper or glamper? Both. <laughs> like to mix Take whatever. Up. Yeah, whatever, man. Just enjoy everything. <laughs> People try to get themselves stuck in little holes, I think. I think when we stick ourselves in one hole and go, oh, I only like camping or I only like glamping or I only like going to re- resorts and whatever, you can't experience lots of different things. And I think experiencing lots of different things is the key. Actually, you're the first guest who's ever said both. All of our guests are either one or the other, but that's an interesting take. Yeah. Stop putting yourself in boxes. That's what I say. That's true. Literally in a box when you go camping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, question number five. Here we go. So you, fa- you alluded before to your, your favourite zone-out activity, but question number five, your favourite TV series. 
at the moment. We have to be at the moment. Oh, I finished everything. That's the problem. <laughs> well, Expanse is really good because it was, came from a really good book series. Um, I find anything that comes from a, a book um, is always going to be the best stuff. Oh, I've actually never heard of that, Expanse. So jot that one down, Jess, would you have? Down. <laughs> and I heard on, on pro- another podcast. On Prime, not on Netflix. There you go. Amazon Prime. It's probably why we haven't seen it. Yeah. Uh, we just got through Breaking Bad. I heard on another podcast that you're a massive fan of the Queen's Gambit as well. Yeah, actually, that was really good. And I cannot stand, well, it's not that I can't stand chess. I've never played it and I couldn't be bothered learning. But, <laughs> gee, that was such an interesting insight into how the human condition is from the basis of chess. so Yeah, it was a fascinating story. Orphan child who got into chess, and I won't give away the rest. Spoiler alert. I usually give away the ending on things, so <laughs> I won't say anymore. I've been guilty of that on a couple of other podcasts. But question number six, so we usually ask, where's the first place you go for a coffee and talk? Hey, but in your case, the Gold Coast. I don't mind. Is it Mikko's? Oh, Micro. Micro, that's it. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Some people say micro. Is it micro or micro? Well, if it's micro, it would be with a C. I would have said micro because it's maybe Italian or Greek or something. Yeah, let's go. It's micro. Those guys are on (laughs) Bain's Crescent just across the road from Ripcurl. So shout out to them. Yeah, big shout out. Gold Coast, nowhere. Home. I've got a great (laughs) coffee machine here. Yeah, I find it disappointing when I go for a coffee and it's like I'm paying four, five, six bucks and I'm like, I'll make better at home. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. I mean, coffee now, $5.50 for a cup. I mean, it's just... Highway robbery. (laughs) It can be. Uh, Question number seven, so getting through our icebreaker segment. Uh, This would be an interesting one, actually, for the the surfing mag industry. Were you busy during COVID or flat? Um, Everyone in the surf industry knee-jerked. Um, and our, which made us even busier to just chasing tail to make sure we got, um, to where, hit the marks we need to hit. So, but we end up being, um, kind of a bit more profitable in one way. I mean, not sustainably. Uh, and then the industry actually went through a bit of a mini boom through that period, whether that was, um, job keeper, job seeker or just every man and his dog out in the water. And, you know, there's stories like Rip Curl not being able to keep up with wetsuit orders and uh, people not being able to get blanks to shape and board orders going from two weeks to eight weeks to for delivery. So it was actually a pretty good period for us. And, you know, we're lucky in Australia that we got to just keep surfing, and especially on the Gold Coast. I know it was a bit tougher in Melbourne, Um I work with the guys at Fuel TV and their head offices in, or the Australian head offices in uh, Melbourne, and the lockdowns there were tough. But here it was kind of, it was good, you know, it was fine. We were just cooking along. Oh, we felt sorry for people in Melbourne. Like, as you say, the, the restrictions in Melbourne, the perimeter of Melbourne, urban Melbourne were really, really restrictive. They couldn't go anywhere. But on the surf coast, we were pretty lucky. Like, as soon as lockdown happened, I was out surfing four or five times a week. Yeah, yeah, we're in the similar boat. It feels like the Surf Coast and the Gold Coast and and some of those at like Northern Beaches, Sunshine Coast, they're all in a similar boat. Um, I mean, we were watching vision of people in Portugal getting dragged off to prison and stuff, which was stupid. Oh, wow. Yeah, people in the Philippines getting shot and all sorts of things. So we, we'd been to the Philippines last year in January and to think that there yeah. were people getting shot in the streets for being outside and arrested and locked up. Yeah. 
nightmare. I was actually in Bali in March. The whole family was during oh, COVID. Right. We you, came down like, to the first day of lockdown. Oh, really? So yeah, just got back in time. Did you have to quarantine? Yeah, but at home, so that was oh, good. Yeah, before it got really restrictive. Mm. Yeah, we were in the Philippines in January, and it was kind of a bit of a joke at the time. Is there oh, Corona, whatever? It's just another bird yeah. flu or you know, swine flu or one of those. And yeah. I was saying <laughs> I didn't have coronavirus, had Bintang virus. Bintang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were similar in the Philippines. I can't remember their national beer, but damn, it's good and it's cheap. But <laughs> Which uh, makes it good. Yeah, interesting insight. A lot of our guests, actually, a lot, a lot of lifestyle brands, surfing brands, surfboard shapers. They actually experienced the exact same thing. They experienced a massive boom because people are at home with money. Some people, you know, took $20,000 or $10,000 at a time out of their superannuation. All of a sudden you cashed up, you got time on your hands. Next thing, it's Amazon, it's eBay, it's, as you say, uh, surfing as well, big lifestyle brand and to get out there and have a surf and be at peace with the ocean. It must have been a good year. Yeah, we we actually still got the same sort of thing happening on the Gold Coast because uh, so many people have uh, moved to a home office scenario working remotely. So the be- the beaches haven't actually eased off now that the restrictions have eased off because they're all just like, yeah, well, we just keep this going. We don't need the offices open the same amount of time. So yeah, I think it's a good thing. It's it's not good for getting waves, but that's only because we're greedy. Um but it is good for, I think, people's lively, livelihoods and lifestyle, well, more lifestyles than livelihoods. So, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a few of the old salty dogs at Bells, I think, didn't enjoy having people there during the day when they typically yeah. have Bells to themselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, never, a... we, we still never have that luxury, but it's even <laughs> worse now. <laughs> yeah, the light-ups are the, in the, on the Gold Coast are just, uh, it's like Winky times 10. Uh, so thanks for participating in our little segment there, right? We're just going to zip into the rest of your story. So 30-year career as a creative, not sure exactly where to start. So I know that you started as an ad man, turned from an ad man into a business owner. Do you want to take us back to perhaps where your journey began as a creative, as a what came first, design, photography, writing? Uh, design. I actually studied as a, as a graphic designer back when it was called commercial artist way before computers so i'm starting to get feeling old actually i don't feel old at all i feel 18 18 in my soul and 50 in my bones so (laughs) um but yeah started as a graphic designer while i was at art college i was doing a lot of work for a um surf shop in brisbane i was living in brisbane at the time and yeah i got my first job because of my in an agency because of my understanding of surf and skate. So that was heaps of fun. And then just went from there into um, another advertising agency, from that one into then a magazine publishing company. So I actually worked for quite a few years uh, doing industry mags. And then from there, I set up my own design studio, which ran for close on 15 years, decided to wrap that up. And then uh, got a job on the Gold Coast as a creative director. After the creative director, I got offered the opportunity to take on Surfing Life and I seized it with both hands, arms, legs, feet. It wasn't my a little case toes were wrapped around. <laughs> 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 oh, a little bit because we had done the whole 
running our own business. And I was sort of like going, oh, maybe. And the missus just went, let's do it. I'm like, okay, let's do it. I'm in. (laughs) <laughs> like I, when I was in the agencies back in the day, I always dreamed because I'd buy the surf mags and always I thought, wouldn't need this the best job ever to be the graphic designer for a surf magazine. So 30 years later, what does that tell you? Never give up on your dreams. I like that advice. Never give up on your dreams. So yeah, 30 years pursuing your dream is a, a long time. How, how exactly did that come about? So I know you bought the, the magazine in 2018. Do you want to tell us more about how that exactly that happened? Well, I went for a job and they didn't offer me the job. They offered me the magazine. <laughs> so did you actually know they were scouting for, for new owners or? They weren't. Oh, they weren't. So this is an no. idea. It was Rob Sims who was the former owner, wasn't he? Craig, Craig Sims. Craig Sims. You got, you got Rob Bain and Craig Sims. So Rob Bain, Craig Sims and Graham Murdoch um, were the three partners. Uh, they, they still own White Horses together, which is oh. another surf title. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so no, Craig just went. You know what? Because uh, he just didn't want to ever see the title die. And then when I came along, he went. You know, this is much better in your hands than my hands. And uh, why don't you take it on? And I said, Why don't you show me the papers to sign? <laughs> what sort of health was the magazine in at this point? Was it pretty healthy, or did it needed a needed a bit of a spark, or it was just business as usual, just a change of name, basically? Not the change of the masthead, but a change of business owner. Yeah, I thought it was pretty healthy, and I think it was pretty healthy at that stage. Um, and I'm going to sound like I'm uh, uh, blowing my own trumpet here a little, but this is testimonies from other people around me who've said after I've taken it on, it's really come come to life. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realise that it needed that much coming to life. But it's just the way myself and my wife roll. We just roll hard and roll fast and... We take on the Facebook model. Not that I'm a big fan of Facebook's methodology necessarily, but one of their original mottos was um, uh, "move fast and break things." So we're of that mode. That's push similar. it out, even if it's push it out, even if it's wrong. Just get it out there, keep moving, fix it up as you go. Which actually a good segue into perfectionism. How do you deal with perfectionism? And you know, it's, so many things have got to be so right for a magazine to go out and be high quality, and for people to pay a subscription each month. How do you deal with that? Does it give you anxiety? I never thought I was an anxious person uh, until I started getting, and not anxiety attacks, but I was like, oh, Nick, I've got, I think I've got something wrong with my heart. Let's go to the doctors. Off we went, a night in hospital. Everything came back completely clear, and then I realised I was just getting stressed. Um, yeah. but, but I didn't know that I had the stress because I'm always that guy going, no, nah, it's, it's easy, it's nothing. Piece of cake. Easy work to a trained soldier, I'd always say. Um, And understanding those stress levels for everyone, anyone, and I think this is, I personally think this is good advice, obviously, because I'm saying it, is that if you can just go, oh, actually, I am getting stressed. And when you feel that emotion come over you, you just go, all right, that's just stress. It's nothing else. And identify where the stresses are coming from and then go, right, no, I don't need to deal with that anymore because I already have. And all of that anxiety and that leaves you. So, um, but it's not based on perfectionism. I'm not really, I hate the word perfect. I think it's the, it's the dumbest and most inaccurate word in the, in the 
English language. And in fact, it's a word that has no meaning, relevance or accuracy or anything. It's just dumb because there's no such thing as perfect. You show me something perfect and I can show you a flaw, but things need to be perfectly imperfect. And when we can have that, it's a bit like, let's think about even the wave pool. So Kelly's wave pool almost looks like a perfect wave. So, but it's perfection, even though it's still not, but it's perfection almost makes it a little bit boring. Whereas when you're watching a surf competition, especially when it's competition, like surfing, it would be amazing. But when you um, watch a surf comp and you're sitting there and you go, oh, is this next one going to double up? Is it going to barrel? Is it going to be an air section? What's going to happen? Um, is a wave going to come? Are two waves going to come? Are three waves? Are, is no waves coming in the last five minutes? So all that imperfection makes it perfect. So I like to believe in perfectly imperfect Um have I put out a mag that I'm 100% happy with? Well, if I did that, I'd give up. I'm always going to be pushing not to be perfect, but to be better because perfect's impossible. Better is achievable every day you wake up. I really like that philosophy. And I think we can use that as part of the podcast as well because I get paranoid about putting out these episodes and got a got a pretty high benchmark after 40 episodes you know initially you know we got a, got away with a few things but now we, we're getting up there in the itunes charts and other things so the pressure's on we're trying to attract sponsors as well so definitely feel that need to for things to be absolutely 100 i don't want to use the word perfectionism anymore <laughs> <laughs> and but that's that's good to hear and this is coming yeah. from the owner of Surfing Life magazine. So yeah, look, just, just look, relax with everything because as soon as you start getting uptight and trying to achieve some unattainable goal of perfection, what you end up doing is um, losing the soul of it, losing the emotion, losing the feeling. Be rough and ready. People want rough and ready. I mean, crikey, you watch the stuff that gets the most hits on things like YouTube's are epic fails and yeah. kook slams yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So being natural, being real, making mistakes is actually what people want, which is why social media became so popular because you felt like you got an insight into these famous people's lives where they're a bit rough and ready, where as opposed to the polished movie edited, color graded, makeup, perfect sound. We love that, but how much more were people retracted to reality TV because of the imperfection of life? And that is way more enjoyable, way more intriguing, way more engaging than perfect. Perfect, you can have it. Yeah, I know the podcast industry, we get obsessed with audio quality and other things, but a good example, I listened to an interview the other day on ABC radio and it was some guy out in the bush and, you know, there's all sorts of noises and uh, imperfections and there was breaks in the audio and I still listened to the whole story because it was a good story. There you go. Story, so, story trumps all. You can have a really poor writer and I've read books that the writing's average but the story's so damn good that it just supersedes the, the you know, lesser level of writing quality. Yeah. Actually, a quick segue into your favourite surf books. I've read Barbarian Days. That's my favourite surf book by Bill Finnegan. Good one. I learnt more about surfing from that book because I only started surfing at age 36, so only a couple of years ago. And that book has taught me more about surfing than any YouTube video, any magazine, um, any other book for for that matter. Have you read that one? Yeah, yep, yep. Um, I'll give you mine and I think it trumps that one. That's a cracker. Can't be a Pulitzer Prize winner without being a cracker. 
That's true. Um, but I think Bob McTavish stoked. Stoked. That'll yeah, that'll take you right the way through Australian surf history and um, what he achieved and was able to achieve and what they did as, you know, the living the surfing lifestyle, like what we were talking before, not trying to make money but or earn money but earn a living, make yeah. a living, um, and that's what he did, Sleep, slept in car. He's like one of the most famous shapers in Australia, most, um, you know, sought after boards like a, a hand-shaped bob mctavish now will cost you two and a half k wow that's what the value they are and yet he's still struggling to pay his mortgage and because he just <laughs> lived in cars and just yeah. surfed and you know so that's his book is amazing yeah stoked we're gonna get on to that one I, I was actually sad when barbarian days finished like the, the last page it was one of those books where you're like oh no that this is it but that's interesting mm. with uh, McTavish still paying off the mortgage and yeah, man, still that nomadic lifestyle by the sounds when it when he's got such a massive brand behind his name. Yeah, absolutely. But I can give you a list of book good books. I think Kong's book is good. It's a funny, funny stories. Lots of amazing yarns. Um, the Rip Curl story is sensational if you're into surf business. I read that um, one two years ago. That was magnificent. That's Tim Baker. Yeah, Tim Baker. Yeah, good friend of mine. Um, He's his stuff is he always writes really well, but that book is was sensational. Um, is one of then, your former editors, Tim? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not under not under my reign, but uh, yeah, he certainly was. Yeah. Um, uh, and the other one was Bad Karma, and it's in a story from an American fella that went down to um, uh, Mexico and oh. got stuck with one of the big drug cartel lords and it's hilarious and didn't even realize i read that in december it's an absolute you read bad karma yeah (laughs) so so good he gets stuck down in mexico and it turns out that he met el chapo el chapo that's it yeah how's it how's it with the um his combi van in the middle of the flooding river (laughs) and he's the night on the roof of it oh I tell, I tell you what, if you, if you own a combi van, it's the best user guide to fixing your combi van ever. Isn't it just? <laughs> how many things that they drop new gearboxes in the side of the road with whatever? Oh, they took the engine out and fully they fixed it in the blaring 40-degree sun in the middle of the highway. Like just a crazy story. Yeah, it's fa- that's a great tale. And that's, again, I, don't, I didn't think the writing was that brilliant, but the tale was all time. So, what about yeah. a book like just on the subject of books, someone like Tim Winton and Breath? Yeah. I, p- please, if Tim's listening or any lovers of Tim, uh, he is obviously a great writer because you can't win as many awards as he has and you can't be as, as acclaimed as he is. But he, it's just not my taste. Um, yeah. I, I think he goes too dark too often and I I don't necessarily like going fictionally dark um if it's a dark tale of of non-fiction yeah that's um, crazy um but i don't know that you need to delve into the zones he delves into so therefore that kind of puts me off a lot of his reading yeah no offense to tim please tim don't be don't be (laughs) ringing me up tuning in (laughs) (laughs) that's it it actually sounds like he's a surfer or he's done a lot of research i don't know i think he grew up he's a surfer Yes. Yeah, he surfs. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, he's got that at least anyway, so it's not coming from a, a non-surfer. Correct. But and listen, you know, surfing's probably the thing that's saved him to go of going way too deep inside all that stuff. Um, who knows? That could be part of his salvation and that's what he's written about and that's amazing in itself. However, it's just not for me. It's just not my taste yeah we understand what you mean there it's pretty deep the the movie i think they hashed over a lot of the the deeper stuff inside the book actually the the movie for me came across as completely different to the book but yeah same storyline but different sort of message yeah but going back to one of the questions we like to ask our listener uh, our guests is you know about taking that leap from part-timer to from side hustler to from passionate to to full-time creative. You said there that you run your own agency there for 15 years. Mm. Do, you, do you remember your thought process of when you were working full-time for an employer and switching over to an agency and being, being a business owner? Yeah, I do. I remember thinking if I'm working 70, 70 hours a week for scraps, I might as well do it for myself. Right. So that was the main, the main motivation. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was just like, and creatives, because everyone wants to be, even back in my day, everyone wanted to be a designer, you know. So therefore, uh, so many um, uh, employers knew that they could pick up great designers for scraps because they just wanted to be designers, and so they didn't have any choice. And and some of the big surf brands are guilty of this as well. And I won't name any, um, but I know that there's a lot of great creatives working on next to nothing because they love surf and they love creative. So therefore they choose that. And that's still okay as well, because, you know, do your passion, do what you want to do. If you love doing it, it's worth, in my book, 20 grand, 30 grand a year is what doing what you love is worth. Not that you could put a price tag on it, but that's going to be my rough price tag for it. So, uh, but I just remember thinking, I, I can actually do this. And uh, when I transitioned, the place I was working for, um, uh, they, you know, they didn't really want to see me go, so they just maintained me as a, a contract worker. So I just go in, pick up the work from them, go home, and do it in my little studio, and then have my own clients as well. So they became a client. My old work became a client. So if you're good enough at what you do, uh, you just you know, your boss will become your client and what's the difference anyway? Uh, that's that's a good quote, actually. Your boss will become your client if you're good enough. Oh, it's interesting. So it was never about the money. It wasn't about making six-figure salary and making millions and maybe selling a business one day. In your mind, you, know, you said before, 20 to 30, 30 grand, that'll do it as long as I can pay the bills. Did you have a mortgage at the time? Uh, no, not initially. And then, but within a couple of years, I, I then... I was doing well enough that I actually went and bought a house. So, but I ran it as a home office. I've always run home offices. I think if you want to be an environmentalist, stop, stop making, stop building offices, start working from home. Cause if you, let's think about this statistic, 50% of our infrastructure, i.e. schools, homes, businesses, are empty 100% of the time. I don't know where that was quoted, but that sounds about right. That's my quote. I just quote, I made it up. Like it has to be, it's anecdotal, but you think all these people that drive to school, drive their kids to school, and then they drive to work. The houses are empty in through the day and at nighttime, the businesses and the schools are empty. The only thing that's not like that are uh, like um, 
uh, sh- uh, hospitals. So it's a crazy concept to have all this infrastructure empty 100% of the time. That is very true. Oh, air cons, f- fridges at work, fridges at home, you know, just a fridge. Just how many million fridges are in Australia left on 100% of the time, used half of the time? When did you when did you realise that or like think about that? Was that right at the start of your business? No, I was sitting, it was beginning of last year, I was sitting at the Global Wave Conference on the Gold Coast and they were talking about all this environmental stuff and I just went, hang on a minute, the most environmental thing you can do is stop going to work and start yeah. working from home. Imagine that we could not do all these highway upgrades that we've been doing, like the Gold Coast is full mm. of highway upgrades. We wouldn't need it because if you drop the capacity by 50% on the roads, we're back just to needing the four-lane highway, not eight. Actually, 2020 was a good test case. I do a lot of cycling and last year the roads were empty. There you go. Because everybody was working from home. And as we saw from pictures in India, they could see the Himalayas for the first time in decades. Yeah. They could see right. the canals in, in Venice for the first time in decades. Like it was, it was nuts. How much oil do we not need then? Or how much less do we need? How much just... Tire grit pollution. Consider that. That's amazing. <laughs> well, another little segue into sustainability. What's your take on sustainability and do you, the, do you build that into the Surfing Life magazine and what's your views on that? It can be a little, I find it's a bit of a furphy for some businesses. They kind of tick that box, but what does it mean to you? Everything to me. Uh, we do as much as we can, as often as we can. I've got a wetsuit vest that's six years old, starting to get holes in it. I get, I can get stuff from brands kind of almost whenever I want, but I don't want to because I don't want it to go to landfill. Um, I upgraded my steamer and I kept my old steamer because that becomes my crossover steamer. The ones with holes in, lets cold water in, keeps you cool when it's not quite cold enough for the wets. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> yeah, built in like, a bit of air conditioning there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like it's sort of like, it's too cold for my springy, but it's too hot for my steamer. I've got my mid one with ventilation, like water ventilation. All right, look, and we're out, like the there was a big shift through the, I think it was the 90s when they're like, oh, we need to be a paperless office. And, and I think uh, misuse of paper is bad, but paper is renewable and recyclable and sustainable. A, a smartphone is not renewable and it's, it's barely recyclable and it's not sustainable. It's full of precious metals and precious metals are finite. Trees are infinite. And in fact, the more we grow trees, the better the environment is. So this whole push towards paper being bad, you know, we're going to cut our paper, blah, blah, blah. That was rubbish. That was a joke. Have you ever had pressure from people? I imagine you have, you know, from trolls and whatnot or critics that say, you know, you should be shutting down the print side of your magazine and just focusing online just because of this issue of sustainability? No, no. no we don't. No. You buy a book, here's the here's a statistic. You buy a book, it'll outlive you. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what, you know, how many books is in it? This book's like 200 years old. Yeah, exactly. And magazines, uh, like the stuff that we print with is high quality paper and it's like, it's glossy and it might feel like it's, not necessarily um, a, a, a renewable product. That the product we produce is actually the most desired from the pulping mills. So if you do have to pulp the mags, that's the one they want. They want our high quality paper, high gloss. It pulps better. It turns into better paper. You get these matte kind of funky, trying to feel 
environmental are actually not as good for pulping, so therefore they're not as good for the environment. But yeah, your magazine, it is very glossy. You would think at a glance it's not recyclable, but it is. It's the best to recycle. But you pick up an aluminium can. It doesn't feel only because we know it from decades of recycling. But if you think about it, it doesn't feel like a lump of wood. It feels like metal and not very recyclable, but there's always been value in recycling aluminium. Yep. Actually, that was another thing on one of your podcasts. The most recyclable part of a coffee cup is the, actually the lid and the, yeah. the bottom half or the, the body of the coffee cup is actually not that recyclable. Recyclable, yeah. It, admittedly, that does break down in, in landfills Fine. and stuff. And that, so it being – because it's, it's the beeswax in or the wax in those cups that make them not recyclable. But at least it's something that can be broken down. Now, I think we need to work a lot more on the stuff we can break down and and not necessarily have to turn it into something else. I mean, single use is not good, but if we can convert it, it's sort of recycling anyway. I mean, there's some, I, I think it's Sweden. I, I'm, it's My memory's uh, not serving me well, but there was one country that was shipping in other countries' waste and rubbish for their power um, production because they'd run out of their own waste. Yeah. Power production on waste, that's the go. If you're going to landfill, at least landfill just a couple of carbon filters, not the whole lot. It's such a complex issue, isn't it? And Uh, There's a lot in it, 100%. And I don't know half of it, a quarter of it, 1% of it. I mean, you can go 100% organic and other things as well, but then again, you can't feed it a planet of 7 billion people with organic farms. So it, it tosses up all sorts of issues. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm i not vegan or vegetarian, but I do kind of feel like it, that's how we're going to have to go. Yeah. Um, admittedly, if we if we start introducing the, I think it's like 2% seaweed into cattle's feed, that cuts down their methane out emission by 98%. Wow. So 98%. That, that's, yeah, it's massive. Yeah. But I'm kind of wondering, you know, what's the methane? emission output of uh, human beings. Maybe we all need to be on more sushi. (laughs) Some some humans more so than others. (laughs) So it sounds like sustainability either way is really, really important to you and the way you live. Yeah. uh, A lot of other questions to get through, Ray. So we'll segue into we had a few questions on Facebook when we did a little promo for this episode. Uh, One in particular, Michael Dunstable, who's a part of our Facebook community, he asked, how do I get a cover shot or how do I get a, a spread featured in a magazine like Surfing Life? The same way everyone does, shoot a red-hot photo. The oh, best you, gets published. And why is it that Blue Skies and Sunshine sell magazines when so many, there's so many popular photographers, so photographers, ocean photographers that go with that real dark, moody set and gallery? Why is it that Blue Sky and Sunshine sells magazines? Oh, I don't know. Why is this? Why does ice cream so, sell so well? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Actually, like if it's a super strong moody shot, um, then we run those. There's some really cool dark, storm cloudy looking things, um, and they they look amazing. But what doesn't run is overcast, flat dull light because your light spectrum gets shut down Mm -hmm. so within the light spectrum in any light spectrum whether it's on camera film or whatever um, as soon as you start cutting down the um, warmer 
colors of the spectrum through the, you know, that's why when you go deep in water, it goes bluer because you're getting less of the uh, warmer spectrum. That's why in the morning the, it, everything seems so vibrant because the, the length of the sun ray is longer and you're out in the warm end of the spectrum again. Um, but flat, gray, dull, I mean, crikey, just print black and white then, eh? <laughs> Well, that's true. I, I like that answer. I've, I've always wondered about that because, yeah, you get so many popular Instagram uh, photographers, surf photographers, just that that dark and moody. There's a couple here on the surf coast, actually. I have. Let me just cut you off there. The the difference between though Instagram and or any um, screen or device, you've got two different light sources you're dealing with. One with a magazine, it's reflected light. With a screen, it's projected light. So therefore you can go dark and moody, but you still got a bunch of projecting light giving it its life. As soon as you put that on paper, it's a reflected light. So that moodiness turns to dull, gray, flat, ugly. It doesn't have that depth that you can get on a screen. So therefore the full, solid, strong colors are going to work visually in a magazine. So they're, the rules that they're playing by, the moody light rules, are the exact same rules as we're playing by in print because they're utilising what works best in that medium. That's a good point, particularly on magazines and the difference between social media and digital. And to go back to getting published, other than taking a banger shot, because there's lots of talented mm-hmm. photographers, so yeah. photographers that can take banger shots, but... Actually, I quit my job age 36 and I emailed some of the editors of Surf Surf magazines. I don't know if you had Surfing Life at the time. It was 2017, so you probably weren't there. I had emailed a few editors and they came back with some really, really good feedback. I'm surprised they came back at all because I was just one of hundreds of photographers. But I emailed them and they liked that I took the initiative to email them and uh, set off some landscape ocean photography shots of Bells Beach and Winky and a few other places and got some good feedback. But they said, mate, you need to have crystal clear, blue sky, um, sharp as a tack, and you need to have Mick Fanning in your photos, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, A-grade photographer, A-grade surfers in A-grade locations with A-grade light. It's kind of what you're after. Um so why is Mick Fanning important in your shot and not your local shredder? Well, because we provide something for surf fans. Do you know what I mean? It's fans of surfing that that read our magazines and the fans of surfing are fans of Mick Fanning and Joel Parkinson and Julian Wilson. And I mean, we, we do a lot with the up and coming um, guys that are ripping and, you know, making a mark, but if they're just a, local dude and so you've got to understand the connection and the buy-in from your reader so if if they don't connect and there's no buy-in they don't then they don't buy they don't purchase um and that's you know that's the reason that's the reason and the reason mick fanning is mick fanning is because he's that damn good yeah and we want to see people that are that damn good so a lot of your when you're um producing it one of the rules is aspirational and inspirational if it's just your local guy, what are you aspiring to and what are you inspired by? But if it's your local charger that, you know, from ship's turns that's charging yeah. um, big heaving slabs, then you go, he ends up end, ends up being a, 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 people end up being fans of his anyway because he gets a name. 
So once people have a name, then people go, oh, you will be in the magazine. Other than that, it's just some local dude and why why am I inspired or aspiring to him when I am him? And just on that, in terms of local dude, like someone like Xavier Huxtable, who's a really up and cut, I think he's sponsored by Rip Curl already. Yep. Would you call him a local dude? Or if I sent you a portfolio of photos of Xavier ripping it at Winky, is that going to be something you're interested in? Yep. 100%. I'm sure Xavier's had a million, a hundred requests already from photographers to go shoot him. I think he gets shot a lot by Ed Sloan. Yeah. Yeah, he does. We get stuff from Sloan. Um, Xavier was number three in our hottest 100 last year, I think. Caleb Tancred was number one, who's actually given up pro surfing. Oh, really? Yeah, he's he got on the tools. Karen Martin, sort of free surfer top. <laughs> no, no, on the tools. Like, oh, really? Get a job. Yeah, yeah. And then he was followed by Dakota Walters, and Dakota's really um, starting to move mountains in the surf industry. He's really flaring. And Zave's right up there. I mean, top three in Australia, that's, you know, not much separates them. No, well, he got a, a wild card in the Rip Curl Pro at age 16 and he had a heat against Kelly Slater and he really took it up to him too. I remember. It was a very good heat. He started the heat really well. He fell flat, but, geez, he started well. I actually thought yeah. he was going to win the heat. Yeah, but, you know, when you're, when you're up against Kelly, you, you've got to start well, you've got to be, go well in the middle and you've got to end well. Yeah. I can't imagine he can the... turn it on. He can turn it on at any time. That's yeah. that's the master of that man. I was gonna say, I reckon he might have been playing that day. Do you think? Just, you know, just... Nah, no, no. Just just rolling with his game, just rolling as it worked for him. Yeah. Well, to Xavier's credit, he's a sensational surfer. So just on that, actually. So the world tour and everything basically shut down in 2020. It's kicked off again. Bells Beach missed out two years in a row. It's had a massive impact on the local economy. I know it brings millions in tourism on the surf coast and even Melbourne as well, accommodation and other things. How important do you think the WSL tour is for places like Torquay and your local hotspots? I think um, it's not important for the local surfer because <laughs> he gets ripped off for that time of the year. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it is important for a lot of local businesses. I mean, we we miss out on on the Gold Coast. We miss out on Snapper this year, and I know that's gonna hurt as well. Um, fortunately, people just come to the Gold Coast regardless. Um, but yeah, you know, I think there'd be a bunch of businesses relying on that boom through those couple of weeks, and it's a massive boom. Uh, you can't get accommodation anywhere from. You know, you, you're getting out as far as Geelong to get accommodation half the time yeah. um, when it's on. And I know because I've had to do it. Um, you're stuck in Belmont or something? <laughs> in Geelong, right <laughs> in the centre. <laughs> um, uh, and I think it would have a big impact, um, but businesses really have to be uh, able to adapt to that kind of stuff. I hate the word pivot because it's a buzzword. I think it's, yeah, just someone's grabbed on it. We've got to pivot. No, you just adapt. What do you want to pivot? You just want to move sideways slightly. But I've, and I've always believed, um, you know, you talk about businesses being white elements and some of the big surf brands um, suffered from that and the small surf brands um, can cope through these tougher times when, time, when times are tougher because they don't have massive infrastructure. So I'm sort of like going, if I ever grow to any sort of size, I don't want to grow to an ele- elephant. 
I just want to be a bunch of mice that are as the size of an elephant because then we can just move everywhere. I like that analogy. I think we yeah. can we can put that on a quote card. So yeah, why not? Go I want for to be it. Hundreds of mice instead of the white elephant. But I know what you mean. You you, you can't. You want to be agile. You want to be nimble. That's it. I was just I was going to ask a, a question about Rip Curl and the recent acquisition with Katmandu. Do you think Rip Curl will still have that sort of that same level of nimble nimbleness and agility? Yeah, I, I mean we love Rip Curl at Surfing Life. They've been a big su- a supporter of ours forever and they've never not been that they've had the back cover on our magazine for decades um i know that tim went over to talk tim baker that is went over to talk to the the big head honchos at Kathmandu in over in new zealand and they were just so in love with what rip curl stood for and who rip curl are they will basically go and you know, teach us how to be like Rip Curl. Um, I love what Rip Curl did through the GFC. I thought it was incredible where they stopped making a profit and all and all they did was maintained everything. So no one lost their wages, no one got fired, um, but no profits were made. And that to me, I go, that's the model right there. That's the model. When there's money to be made, make money. When there's no money to be made, just just stay even keel, keep it going until we go into those good times again. Unfortunately, and I don't know what will happen with Kathmandu, but we are now in the hands of shareholders and shareholders always require profit. It is the nature of shares. Um, so therefore, it might run into trouble. I'm not saying it will. Uh, I love Rip Curl. We love Rip Curl. We, I like all the brands, to be honest. They're all great. Um, but, you know, that's my only concern because that's the nature of, of shares and investors. And just touched on there, Tim Baker going to New Zealand. So I know Tim Baker wrote the book. I've always been curious about this because the book came out and then next minute, 12 months later, the Rip Curl business was sold. Was the Rip Curl story a sales proposal? <laughs> <laughs> Bloody good one if it was. <laughs> <laughs> Best sales proposal in the world. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. I've got like a, you know, a sneaking suspicion. and But it has, I, I did actually ask the question to one of the head honchos in at Rippy and he just said, no, nah, no, nah, it just, just <laughs> happened to work out that way. I mean, they tried to sell, you know, maybe 10 years before. It just yeah. the timing wasn't right. I kind of felt like they went, right, oh, well, we didn't sell you know, at the 40-year mark or 45-year mark. If we are going to sell, let's hold on now. So they – but they're probably in talks for a couple of years. Yeah, you know, true. these things aren't – these things aren't um, – these things aren't decided overnight or in a couple of weeks. So – and I, I can see it, the decision just like, hey, listen, wait till you're 50, then we'll buy you because then you can have your glory, you can have this amazing thing you've built – uh, and you can celebrate it, and then we'll take over. But that's just me playing the story out in my head. Yeah, and Doug, Doug Warbrick, uh, Brian Singer, they're probably getting along a bit. How old would they be now? Seventies, I think. Seventies, so not yeah. well, that's pretty young in in the modern age, but probably at the point where they, you know, they started out as we said before, just trying to make enough money so they could surf, and they ended that's up exactly how they started out. What did they make three hundred million each, or I think? They got three. No, they sold. They sold. Yeah, sold the whole lot for three bucks fifty. That's um, 
quite, quite a good return on investment over 50 years. So I bet they were more than happy to put the pen to the paper and hand over the reins. Uh, absolutely. I mean, Claw's up here now on, at Corumban. He's living. I know Sing Ding is bought in. Uh, he does have a place in Byron. I don't know if he's there full time. Um, but yeah, so why not? And Isn't that where all good surfers go to die? Is Byron or Noosa? Yes. I'm actually surprised that I think they've got homes in at Bells Beach or yeah. I don't think they would have let those. Yeah, they wouldn't let those go. I mean, they bought that property way back in the day. They're protecting that from developers and other nasties. So yeah. Yeah, which is great to see. And quick disclosure too: we do love Rip Curl as well. Actually, our new podcast studio is going to be in Rip Curl's old distribution warehouse, so we're thankful for that. Yeah, and good on them. Yeah, it's a massive story, and I guess that the township and the Surf Coast has been kind of built on the back of Rip Curl and Quicksilver and other brands. So we've got a lot to be thankful for. Definitely, definitely. I, I think it'd just be another sleepy little town along the along the coast. Otherwise, it'd just be another Apollo Bay. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with Apollo Bay. No, there's not. Property prices are indicating that too. Maybe maybe a little Port Campbell. It's nice. Yeah, it's Port Campbell. But uh, I've been hogging the microphone, Ray, so I'm going to hand it over to Jess, who's got a couple of questions. Well, um, I wanted to know what your biggest challenge has been in your career. Do you reckon COVID was one of the biggest things or is there something else that has um, happened? That's a good question. Biggest challenge. Yeah, I, I don't really, I, I, I kind of don't buy into challenge things too much. I think you've sort of probably recognised by now I don't get swayed by, you know, boxes and challenges and that sort of stuff. Um, COVID was a challenge. Uh, oh, I don't know, not getting enough time to surf because I'm too busy yeah. doing surfing life. <laughs> <laughs> That's my own fault. I can get up and go earlys. <laughs> Not to mention Fuel TV now as well and a podcast. Is the podcast still going or is it just Fuel TV? Uh, yeah, we just transitioned from podcast to TV show, um, turned, the, turned the podcast into a TV show. Uh, yeah, cha- it's challenging um, get publishing a magazine and producing a TV show at the same time. That would probably be, I'd say, the biggest challenge. Yep. COVID, the only challenge about COVID was all my surf trips got canned. <laughs> and lined be? up like board tests and trips to <laughs> Sri Lanka and Lakey Peak and I was like damn you <laughs> so you had to settle for barrels at Kira and Snapper instead yeah I was pumping through then oh well no we did a as you would have seen in our latest magazine we did a trip to the Southern Barrier Reef oh and, yeah I did say that was World Safaris yeah which is basically like going to the Maldives pretty much except for the Waves weren't quite as good when we were there. You've kind of got a strike mission that place. It's not really charter it. Um, I also did. We also did the board test our board bible in um, the Yapoon Surf Lakes Wave Pool, which is a killer pool. So actually, I saw that you guys chartered from Gladstone for for the Great Barrier Reef special. My auntie mm. and uncle recently moved to Gladstone, and they want me to come up and visit my my auntie listens to this podcast religiously, so big shout-out to Marita. She'll be tuning in, but I'm kind of like, what's in Gladstone? But now, now you I'm know, all over it. <laughs> <laughs> my uncle has a fishing boat, so we're uh, I'll give you the tips off air. I won't tell you the spots on air. 
Wait until <laughs> Otherwise, I fighting. will be shot. All the people from Gladstone will come down there and, you know, <laughs> torpedo my house. I reckon every surfer that's been on this podcast has said, I won't give you the spot on air, but we'll take it off. <laughs> Everyone, they're like, not saying. <laughs> so, yeah. It's even worse for us. We'll get, that's something we would get hammered by the internet yeah. trolls for. And rightly so. We need to not Respect blow out spots. spots. Yeah. Actually, there was a guy on Facebook who did a really good edit video edit of Margaret River the other day and he put up the location and he was all proud of himself and it was a magnificent video. I really liked it. And he got absolutely flogged on social media because he put the location. And I thought this poor guy, like he probably cried himself to sleep. Yeah. I think if it's Margaret River, like Margie's main break, they'd be like not naming Snapper. It's hardly a secret spot. Yeah, it's, it's like naming Bells Beach, isn't it? I mean, who doesn't know where Bells Beach is? So exactly, but he still copped it for. <laughs> I think it's wild, was, huh? Yeah, the poor guy. It was a really good video, but he was just copying it left, right, and center. Yeah. Uh, Ray, we're getting up towards an hour. I'm really conscious of your time. I know you're a busy man. Actually, you put the final touches on the next issue, didn't you? Today, so that's coming out. That'll be the culture edition. Correct. Yeah, it's our inaugural culture edition. So we've um. We've moved our uh, magazine cycle from five mags up to six mags, making us bi-monthly. So, cool. you know, this whole print is dead thing is obviously not the truth. In fact, we're making more. So Yeah, well, Generation Z is embracing print, aren't they? So Generation Z, Generation Y called the end of digital media and uh, print media and you know, it was all going to be iPhones and iPads and other things to consume media, but Generation Z is taking a turn. Well, absolutely. I mean, that was uh, Reuters did that uh, uh, that feature story on uh, if millennials killed print, will Gen Z revive it? The reality of it is <laughs> Gen Y rolled around going, oh, print's dead. Print was never dead. It was, it was this sort of like just a becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, to be honest. But um, it's only because those that was the generation that invented social media. So this must be the new best, biggest thing. Yeah. But let's just take an analogy. Once upon a time, this person said, I've got this really cool thing and you'll love it. It's called instant coffee. And everyone threw out their coffee machines and their percolators and they drank instant coffee. And then someday someone went, hey, why don't we make this espresso stuff? And everyone went, why are we drinking this crap instant coffee? And they all went back to espresso and proper coffee. And that's exactly the same thing with trying to read any story of long form on a digital device is terrible and it's not relaxing and neuroscience backs it up that um, there is, there's nothing relaxing about reading in digital form because of the projected light thing we are talking about before. Reflected light is relaxing. And have you ever heard someone say, I'm going to relax with a good digital device this weekend? Yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't. <laughs> no. They're going to relax with a good book, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Because it is relaxing. And, you know, for advertisers as well, um, uh, memory recall and information retention in print just slaughters digital. So good luck with all your digital spends. Um, you know, it's just white noise out there. I'll be preferred books, magazines. I've got your magazine right here. You can't see it, obviously, but uh, our listeners can't see it. You can see it on the Zoom chat. but. <laughs> Give us a print book or a magazine any day of the week. We've actually got a problem with books. We've got too many books. Too many. <laughs> like, 
We're going to start giving giving some away and do that. But there's no such thing. Just get better racking, better shelving. It's all about management. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, the wall behind you, that's going to be bookshelves, I think, just next to the Perfect. More bookshelves, less less surfboards. No, no, no. Just more room for both. Yeah. Less shoes. Less shoes and dresses, hey, Jess? Yeah. Yeah, Come on, Jess. (laughs) I saw something on board on ASOS the other day. What was that? <laughs> thrown under the bus. Sorry, Jess. We're yeah. nasty. It's nasty. It's rude. It's mean. <laughs> we actually just recently got a joint bank account. We're getting married in December, and this is my first experience. Oh, congrats. Oh, thank you. And yeah, we got a joint bank account. So it's a different world for us now. You can't hide anything. No. <laughs> Good. Best way. I can't ho- hide that. And- Hide that surfboard from Corey Graham or anything. <laughs> you just got to buy two, mate. That's the key. <laughs> One each. Keep it fair. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> got to get and a bunch of flowers. <laughs> got to get that log and the and the shorty as well. Mm. That's it. A uh, quick question about inspiration, Ray. Who in this world inspires you and why? Just everyone. Nice, everyone. Yeah. Why not? Why can't everyone inspire you? Doesn't have to be the greats. People do amazing stuff every day. Getting out of bed sometimes is an amazing feat for some people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like if someone can bring you a bit of joy and a bit of life, well, why can't they be an inspiration? Like, you, sure, I get inspired by great people, and I, but what makes a person great anyway? And you, talk, you get that person alone in a dark room. They're just an average person, you know. They're just a normal person and they bleed like you do. They breathe like you do. And there's some things in their life that they wish they could be like you in, that you achieve well in and they learn from you. So uh, greatness, we like like greatness because it makes us, um, you know, something to aspire to and that's important. But we're talking about, you know, Mick Fanning before, but Mick Fanning's one of how many world title holders, but I'm one of very few magazine publishers. So therefore, am I a world champion at that? No. But my point is you and I do things that that they can't do and they can do things that we can't do. So we're all inspiring and we all should just be kinder to each other and find that little bit of greatness in each person. I really like that. And one of the things about doing a podcast we used to get really nervous about getting really prominent people on we still get nervous obviously if we don't get nervous then we'll stop doing the podcast but one of the things that really struck us you know was how do we reach out to this person and get them on the podcast and have a a good conversation that people get value from and if you had said at the start of we started doing the podcast in may last year if you had said We'd be interviewing the owner of Surfing Life magazine for episode number 38 of the well, episode number 40 of the podcast. I would have said, You're kidding yourself. So, yeah. And to realize that you're a human being, you've got emotions, you've worked hard to get to yeah. where you are, that's, that's where it all comes together. Yeah. yeah. In the end, it's the people around you. And as long as you keep those relationships good, it doesn't matter what you do with your life. And just to throw in there, our dream guest is actually Mick Fanning. So if you're tuning in there. <laughs> <laughs> we had Kelly in the studio here once, so that was fun. That would have been cool. Actually, Mark Howard, do you know Howie? Does the Howie games? Yep. He just interviewed Kelly Slater and he was absolutely frothing. So that was his his dream guest of all time. Yeah, and that's fun. And, again, like what we're talking about, find greatness in everyone. I mean, it still is great to 
to, you know, appreciate these people like Mix and Kelly's and Parkos and, you know, because they've done amazing things. So let's applaud them, but let's applaud everyone for their amazing things. And I hope this is not sounding too, you know, wishy-washy, love everyone, but that's kind of how I feel. Everyone's great. Well, it's one thing that struck me on how his podcast was how regular Kelly Slater is. He's such a humble guy. I don't know if you've found oh, yeah. that in the industry as well. Yeah, 100%. He's just an he's just a guy like he does things and it annoys people. Like (laughs) I know you don't, don't try and get Mick and Kelly together. Um, but you know, we all do things that annoy people because we're human beings. And if we all didn't do things that inspire and and annoy, then it'd be so boring. I think I read a quote the other day. If you haven't offended someone by midday every day, then you're not trying. What? <laughs> well, that's similar to the that's similar to move fast and break things, isn't it? Yeah, it's it kind of says you're having a crack and if you haven't offended someone by midday every day, you're not trying. That's my word. well, yeah. See, this is what it's the funny thing about being opinionated, and people go, "Oh, you know, that guy's really opinionated," and I'm like, "I want everyone to be opinionated. I want everyone to have an opinion." Because if you don't have an opinion, how can I change mine? Mm. Do you know what I mean? You shouldn't be opinionated to the point where you won't change your opinion, but have an opinion, have a vision, have an understanding, and then be open to someone else's opinion, their vision and understanding. And then we all can change and have understanding. We don't have to do what they're doing or believe what they believe, but at least we've got an opportunity to change our opinion and be better because of it. Actually, leading into our final question, Jess, about advice. It gave a little bit of advice there, but our final question, Jess. Uh, What would be your best piece of advice for budding creatives or people who want to go from like a part-time hobby, passion project to a full-time career in doing what they love? How long have we got left? (laughs) As long as you want, maybe two minutes. Actually, it's up to you. I think... I've got as much time as you want. I, I honestly, we can go for another hour if you want to. I've, I was I was working till midnight last night, finishing off TV shows. So today it's sort of just like a bit chill. Um, my advice to uh, budding photographers slash creatives, film filmers, just that creative sphere is um, you just got to keep doing it so much that you could teach it. If you can't teach it, you're not good enough to do it yet full-time. You need to buy every book and every magazine you can on the subject. And when you get to a stage where when you pick up a magazine, say photography magazine, you pick up a magazine and you can't learn anything new from it, then you're ready to go. You need that foundation. Don't give up your day job till you've got that kind of foundation, till you know it backwards, till you get to a point where you go, this stuff is so easy. I can't believe everyone's not doing it. I'm like, that's how I found when I was a photographer, just doing photography, I was like, everyone can do this. This this is so easy. There's nothing to photography. Whereas another person pick up a camera and go, aperture, ISO, shutter speed, what the (laughs) F stop? Focal length, you know, wide angle zoom, telephoto, tripod, and they're like, oh my goodness, you know, slow shutters, fast shutter. So that at that point, then you're ready. Um, but at that point, you anyone can do it whenever they want to do it if they decide to do it and they never give up doing it. Simple. Yep, yep. Again, like my 30 year dream. Um, I never was really pursuing it daily, that dream. 
But it was always a dream, you know, and I just, yeah. I yeah. never went, I'd never consciously said I'm still pursuing the dream, but I'd never consciously given it up either. Yeah. But when it comes to being a creative, you do it because you can't do anything else. You can't. You Sitting in an office being an accountant drives you nuts and you're just dragging your body to work every day and you're dragging it home every day. And I know some very creative accountants who love numbers and it's their thing and they are good at it and they are amazing and they love it. They're not dragging themselves to work. Yeah. At the point where you're dragging yourself to work to do it, at the point where you're like going, I can't wait till this day ends, you're in the wrong job. Go yeah. find the right job. Sometimes you gotta stay in that job for a little bit. You've got to, you know, you've got to persist and you've got to put bread on the table and roof over heads and stop and you can't be you just can't be a lazy bastard either. You gotta work tirelessly. Yeah. Tirelessly. And if you can't work tirelessly, just go work at McDonald's. That's your job, okay? But if you can, if your person that your passion uh, uh, outweighs everything, then that's then just go. There's no, there's no getting it right. There's no perfect formula. The only formula is working as hard as you possibly can and never giving up. If you do that, you'll get there. Can absolutely relate to that advice about dragging yourself to work. A twelve-year career in finance and quit at the age of 35 and went traveling through Southeast Asia. That's about the time that I emailed those editors of surfing magazines and kind of hit a, hit a hump in the road when they said you need Mick Fanning and other guys in your photos, but kind of moved on to different areas of photography and found a way as a creative. And here we are. Beautiful. Four years later on a podcast that we love and we've created ourselves from scratch and interviewing the, the owner of surfing life magazine. So <laughs> I guess it's yeah. a good case study for following your dreams, as it, as is your story as well. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just kind of the reality of it is, um, yeah, gee, finance, um, get yourself out, <laughs> do what you want. But don't expect to be a millionaire either. That's the other thing. It's always this whole I'm going to go do it and I'm going to get rich. And you're just not, you know, you're going to, you're going to struggle and you're going to um, yeah. find it hard, but you have to, again, we get, let's go to the Western civilization um, uh, understanding of um, wealth and they, they measure in bank balances where it's not a good measure of wealth. Wealthy people are people um who have great lifestyles, great life, people around them that love them, good friends, mm. and, you know, enough money to get by. True, One of the true measures of happiness is somewhere between not enough money and too much money. And the wisdom to know the difference. And the wisdom to know the difference. It <laughs> sounds like that quote. I think that's awesome advice, Ray, and it kind of puts things into perspective. And I think 2020 put things into perspective for a lot of people anyway, in terms of where they want to go in life. And you can see it with lifestyle brands. They just went bananas because people are thinking differently now. So hopefully COVID had a positive impact in that sense. Yeah, but we will have a flooding market of that and that's going to be tr- that's going to have its own yeah. um, issues as well because we still need accountants and finance peoples. And yeah, I I was working in a social media company that only dealt with um, financial planners and accountants. And there were some very, very passionate people in there and they're amazing. Um, So I'm not looking down my nose at any um, career path. I'm just saying, find the one that works for you. 
Yeah, I was in that stockbroking wealth management side of things. So I was on the, the sexy side of finance, but still I thought, you know, that's a path, the ticket to the, the, to the, what do you call it? What's that place called in with the Wizard of Oz? It was the golden ticket anyway, <laughs> the golden path. I'm pretty riches. sure it's Oz. Oz, the Wizard Oz. It, it is Oz. <laughs> yeah, it you know, the Oz. Wizard of Oz, where, where's, where's that place that the Wizard of Oz is? In? <laughs> Oz. Then, yeah, you, you kind of get there and but then you realise that so many people struggle in that industry as well, you know, that the big paychecks go to, to you know, the top 2 3% of people. Yeah. And it's the same with any other industry. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I've never seen like, – how many people have you heard of on their deathbed are going, gee, I wish I made more money? And that's the true test. Most of it, it's like, gee, I didn't, wish I didn't work so much. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, you don't want John Smith – had $56,838 in his super account and passed on this date. You don't want that, do you? <laughs> no. It's not the goal. Is it, is, it a, is it a James Dean quote? Live fast and die and no. Live fast, die young. Die. No, no, it's another one. Um, oh, now I've lost it. It's about um, life's not about turning up to your, to your funeral in a nice-looking corpse. It's about sliding in sideways, yeah, engine yeah. worn out, tyres flat, screaming, what a ride. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I reckon that is a quote from, oh, he wrote the book about Las Vegas, the Hunter S. Thompson. I reckon he's. It is a Hunter S. Thompson quote, yeah. 100%. Yeah. 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 That's a good one. I like that. It's, uh, Ray, it's been awesome chatting to you. I feel like this could just keep going on and on and on, but <laughs> especially with my interest in photography and design and all <laughs> things creativity and Jess's interest as well in entrepreneurship. But we've got to wrap it up. Where can we keep going to follow your story and also the next issue for Surfing Life? That'll be coming out soon. Next issue for Surfing Life will be on shelves in the first week of April. Um, uh, follow my journey. I don't know. I've got an Instagram account. There's a couple of people on there. You can follow along that one. I don't really post too much these days i used to post heaps i got quite the following but uh surfing life took over um follow, watch the, the paddle out on fuel tv or ch- it's an, on channel seven as well seven plus so free to wear and uh yeah well you'll just see my stories coming out in surfing life really yeah so. cool i'm sure you got a casual twenty five thousand followers or something instagram i think it's something like that 25 something i don't know which is pretty doesn't that make you an, Doesn't that make you an influencer? Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, you say you're an influencer. <laughs> Apparently. But uh, Surfing Life, I saw about 125,000, so a massive following there too. So congratulations on your progress to date with Surfing Life and your career and your passion. And we thank you so much for your time today. It was only an hour and a half. doesn't do your story any justice, but I hope this has <laughs> got a lot, of, a lot of nuggets and wisdom out of today's episode. Yeah, man. Look, any time, feel free if you want to holler again we can go again and touch other subjects if you want but thanks for the time and thanks for the platform it's been fun actually we would love a follow-up episode later in the year that'd be cool (laughs) easy i'll send you a calendar invite just after this (laughs) (laughs) september (laughs) september the 12th you're really planning your year out (laughs) bring mick fanning with you too All right, Ray, we'll let you go. Thanks again and awesome to chat with you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it.